Welcome back to What They Don't Ask. I'm Allie. And I'm Daniel. Who, who are these people, Allie? Yeah, so the conversation that we just had that you're about to listen to um, is between two people that I love so dearly, John and Savannah Enzer. Uh, when I was in high school, John was my soccer coach, my teacher, also like a youth minister. <laughs> and Savannah was also a sweet friend and became a sweet friend in the years after graduating high school. Mm. Um, and they are just a precious couple who've worked so hard to have the family that they do. And um, they give us a lot in this conversation. And we're just so thankful. And you can hear my dog. And those <laughs> are dogs. <laughs> That's or one large dog. One, one, one large, large dog. dog. <laughs> <sighs> Going into this, uh, I was, I was nervous because I, I, I don't even have a girlfriend. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have a child. I, I, I don't have a spouse. I don't have a partner. I, I, I that feels so far away from me, and so. Uh, I had asked Allie <laughs> prior, uh, is four people too many? And, and part of me was using that. I, I <laughs> legitimately thought maybe four might be too many as a, as a whole interview thing. Um, but I was nervous because I, the, I've had friends who have had miscarriages and, um, but I, I I don't think I've ever had super explicit uh, uh, talks or conversations uh, about um, infertility, and yeah. so just going into this, I was I was a little nervous. Um, but like we talked about towards the end of the podcast, that's kind of what this is about is yeah. uh, is for people who. Um, maybe don't understand certain types of grief and to kind of gain insight into what it looks yeah. like and what it feels like. What and, would it look like to talk with a couple and ask questions and offer right. them space to share some of the story that never gets told? Right, right. And one thing, I actually wanted to bring this up, but I just the whole idea of both of them going through this at once yeah where you know with with a parent loss or with a sibling yes. loss or something like that there there's someone to lean on yeah the a i loved it, the way he well don't want to right spoil I anything. Don't Man, it's so good much, yeah right the way he it's a very said specific it, yeah. asymmetrical grief is how it usually comes and this was a very right. very equally laden burden yep so yeah. we're really, really excited for you guys to listen to the these two tell their story. And thanks for tuning in. Well, hi. It's so good to see you guys. Yeah, it's been it's a good while. To see you, I know. Um, well, would you mind just introducing yourselves? Sure. Um, do you want uh, anything along with an introduction? Like... Yeah, tell us tell us your name. Tell us a little bit about you guys as a couple. Um. Uh, okay, so I'm Savannah and John. I'm John, my Savannah's husband. husband. 
We have been married for 15 years. 15 years. And we met each other when I was 12 and he was 16. Yep. We've so known each other for <laughs> a very long time. He um, busted me in the face with a bag of ice. Uh, not my on, ac- on accident, of course. Not my proudest moment. <laughs> I think that was when she was about 12. Yes. <laughs> At the beginning of our journey. Yeah, we live in Tulsa. No, we don't live in Tulsa. We used to live in Tulsa. We now live in a smaller town just north of that, Bartlesville. Um, we have three kids, two boys, 10 and 8, no, 11 and 8, that one just mm-hmm. had a birthday, and then we have a nine-month-old little girl, and so first little girl on my side of the family in almost a century, so we were pretty uh, shocked. We were pretty shocked when we had a little girl, and so mm. the whole house is kind of filled with joy, just having her around. Um mm-hmm. Savannah teaches the boys homeschool um, and uh, keeps everything going. And I'm a professor here at a local university. Awesome. Well, thank you. Um, We're really excited to chat with you guys. And you guys have such a tender story. And um, I don't know who wants to lead off, but I was just wondering... Um, if we could start off by just talking about what it looked like for you guys to walk through secondary infertility. I think Savannah um, should should probably go first. I hmm. think uh, it's one of those things that like, I'm sure like a lot of elements of grief journeys, something you never thought you'd face. Um and uh, because it was secondary, um, it felt very, to me, it felt much more lonely. Um, mm. I almost felt like I didn't have a place um, within the fertility world because I had two kids. Um, and so um, I think also another element of difficulty was that it came on the heels of our second son's um, diagnosis of achondroplasia, which is just a genetic bone growth disorder. He has dwarfism. So we kind of went through a lot with that. And then right on the heels of that, um, dealt with secondary infertility. And I think in a lot of ways, um, some of my experience with Aunt, my pregnancy with Anson, um, I felt like I kind of got robbed of some joys of that pregnancy. And so I kind of really looked forward to in the next pregnancy, not having any worries um, or fears, um, even though I knew that they would undoubtedly be there because of just anxiety and trauma. But um just it, I was looking forward to something a little bit more normal. And so then to kind of not even be able to get there with secondary infertility um, was just, I think, another element. But overall, if I had to look back, I would say it just felt very lonely. Um, and I felt very isolated um, in my experience. Mm. Yeah, I had a little bit of a different, obviously different experience Um with my role as, as Savannah's husband, um, I think, you know, for my take on so much of it was, um, you know, after, after some of the, the challenges that we faced with Anson's birth, we really just wanted to make sure that that didn't define everything about who our family was. We wanted to continue to move forward and 
really looked forward to, to all of that. Savannah is always from the time we um, dated and, you know, talked seriously about, you know, the future really had a desire for a larger family. She comes from a larger family. And um, I think, you know, in marriages, oftentimes, you know, you're the, the dreams that your spouse has initially, you know, you're, you're on board with, but as you guys go through the marriage journey, those dreams really become yours. They, that dream really became my dream as well. And so it was, you know, it was very difficult to watch those things unfold. I think one of the things that from my perspective that was so hard is just a feeling of, uh, and this might be kind of stereotypical, um, male, but just a sense of powerlessness that I, you know, there, there was no way, there was no, um, easy, easy fix or, or quick fix to, to the situation. And so I think there was kind of like this feeling of, uh, just, just the way the infertility journey goes. Um, there's just like this slow rolling grief, you know, um, that happens, you know, every month. And it really kind of was one of those things that you never want to be too, too hopeful. Um, but inevitably you are. And mm. then, and then the, the floor just kind of falls right. out from under you. And I think in some ways then that begins to like echo with some of the, the sadness that you have about other things that have gone on. And so, um, it, it really was like a slow rolling kind of, uh, grief I think that we experienced for uh what six seven, years seven years yeah mm. so. wow it's a long time that's a lot yeah. of months <laughs> six <laughs> times twelve seventy thousands <laughs> thousands of yeah months mm. right and and you guys if I can ask you guys, were you guys consistently trying over that time? Yes. Um, you know, there were definitely times where either not, not so much my doctors, um, but oftentimes close friends or people would say, why don't you take a break? You know? And I think every once in a while, um, like, we we got to the point where we were seeing fertility specialists and mm. you know they would kind of mention that that as a as an opportunity to try something different you know and for me it just was not really an option and i think of anybody that would suggest that understood i feel like our doctors did and so it was never really something that the doctors mentioned but i do remember maybe one time um you know mentioning that that could be an avenue or something we could try, but that just felt like quitting to me. It felt like giving up. Mm. Um, mm. And so if there was anything active that I could do, that's what I wanted to be doing. Um, so, right. yeah. 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 It's like that option is there and it's valid, but I think there is, I, I, I would imagine just a biological drive to, uh, yeah, right. Like you said, it, it would maybe feel like quitting. And I think, too, mm. the fact that, like, we had had two kids, like, was in the back of my mind, too. Like, I just, like, couldn't mm, figure out, like, right, yeah. like, what in the world? Like, 
<laughs> yeah. You know, that, yeah. that this should work. Like, it has worked. Um, mm-hmm. so. And sometimes that was almost the line that we would receive from the specialists, you know. Um, so it was a yes. really, it was a really long um, medical journey. And Savannah just deserves all the credit in the world. Um, uh, you know, it's she did a lot of legwork and research and presented ideas um, to her specialists and then, you know, kudos to the specialists that they listened and kind of entertained. Mm. Um, and so it really, it, it resulted in a number of, of operations to basically try to um, realize what was going on and fix those things. It was uh, pretty extensive. And so Savannah went through, sorry, Savannah went through just a, uh, enormous amount to make our family grow. Um, so I was able to watch and just be so proud and impressed by her resolve and toughness. Um, you know, uh, at the same time, not being able really, we weren't really able to, to enjoy the fruits of that for a long, yeah. long time. So. Right. Right. I think I, Savannah, your first thing that you mentioned was the sense of loneliness in the journey because you do have two children. And I think um, I would imagine that there's a lot of assumption there as time goes on and the gap between your kids began to grow of like, Mm. oh, well, they're done, you know, or like and people are not looking probably aren't looking for like a reason to support you or to ask you, how are you like, how is this journey for you? I feel like. From what I from what I know, um, just of women that I've talked to who have also experienced um, secondary infertility, it just doesn't have a lot of uh, hospitality in the normal ground of conversation as a part of how you are and what your general health and wellness and wholeness is. Yeah, for sure. Um, and doesn't like naturally come up like you said um people just kind of assume um that you know you're at the end of that road and unless it was a close enough Mm. friend that specifically asked it um you know didn't come up and it even took me a really long time to even i consider myself very close with my family and my sisters um and it took a really long time to even like let them know that like Hey, we do want more kids and we have been trying for a really long time and it hasn't been working and we don't know what's going on. Mm. Um, It really kind of took until, um, I can't remember exactly, but we had to go to um, Chicago because that was like the closest doctor that specialized in the type of procedure that I needed to have done. And so um, I think it was then that I kind of felt up against a wall to kind of open up to my family um, and say, hey, we're this is where we're going. We need help with our kids. Um, this is what's been going on. Um, so for sure, it, yeah. Yeah. And this is after, uh, uh, John, you were saying Savannah did a bunch of research and you, were you just going based off of just symptoms and, or, or how were you going about figuring it out? Um, yeah, Google. <laughs> <laughs> right. I know. I'm like, man, what research did she do? This seems like so tenacious. Yeah. We would not yeah. recommend that for all of your, uh, health issues yeah. <laughs> or in the midst of a pandemic. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. While caring for a child with with um extra medical needs as well. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, just basically symptoms that I felt like doctors kind of scratched their heads at and the mm. idea that like I've had two kids and all of a sudden something's changed, you know, um, right. to me, it was just the racking my brain of trying to figure out like, why are we experiencing this? What has happened between my boys and now, you know, um, that things have changed and what I had known from appointments and ultrasounds that I had gone to and things that they had seen um, that they honestly were like, this isn't a big deal. Like, um, and even they were consulting with doctors within their group that, you know, they were saying, I wouldn't have even Whoa. said anything to the patient if I saw that on an ultrasound. Um, but to me, they were just, I was just kind of grasping at anything that was off or different and um, kind of stumbled upon um this doctor in Chicago who specializes in um, repairing C-section scars um, that sometimes can okay. cause secondary infertility. So, um, oh, whoa. Okay. so we um, went up there and the reason why he's so good at it is he does, um, anyway, it's just minimally invasive. And so um, okay. much better recovery. Um, there was a doctor in closer in Texas that did it, but it was basically like having a second or having another C-section is how he kind of would repair it. So okay. it was drastically different approach to correcting the issue. Um, sure. So yeah, we went, we, we went to Chicago and had a surgery scheduled without even really knowing if that's what um, the oh, issue gosh. was. Yeah. <laughs> So well, it, it was wasn't till we, guess. yeah, it that wasn't till we got so there, um, and we're meeting with the surgeon the day before um, that oh he was gosh. able to confirm, like, yeah, this is kind of a textbook case in my opinion. So, wow, Whoa. okay. How are you guys like? How are you guys feeling right now in your bodies as we talk through this? This is just such a long memory of like hope and sadness and longing and i'm just curious how your bodies are processing in this moment i think i'm you know everything right now it's a lot easier to talk about because of where we mm -hmm. are mm -hmm. um, yeah i don't know if we could maybe even have this conversation if uh, you know, we didn't have our little nine-month-old sleeping up the hall. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, and not a, not everybody gets that. Not everybody gets to come through on the other side of, of those types of things. But um, that's the perspective that I think I have when we talk about this. It's all, there's a lot of pride for me looking back and, you know, mm -hmm. joy looking backwards, you know, it's um, because of where we are now. So, yeah, I don't know. How do you feel, babe? Um, that particular point in our journey um, is a memory of real hope for me because um, I remember leaving that doctor's appointment the day before our surgery in Chicago. And it was one of the first times and this at this point it was about three years into our journey of secondary infertility um and it was the first time that i felt like a doctor was confident that they could help us um and wow. that was just 
I mean, we have been have been grasping for hope for so long and um, having somebody look at me and say, I know what's wrong and I can fix it um, just was like a real high for us. Yeah, um, after th- that was after the seven years? Or? No, this is in the mid- middle of the seven years. Okay, um, gotcha, Yeah, so gotcha, this is th- okay. like three years in. We've kind of figured okay. out why we haven't been able to conceive so far. Um, and this was the first doctor that kind of looked at us and said, yeah, I think this is why. Um, okay. And I can fix okay. it. So, Was that 2016? I think right. it was 2018. 2018, okay. Or maybe, yeah. Yeah. Oh, tw- yeah, 2018. We were watching the Winter Olympics in the hotel room. I don't even remember. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you you got you stay the night in Chicago and then and going for the surgery. Yes. Yeah. And then I think so. We had what five days of recovery. So wasn't it three days of recovery. We were in Chicago for about five days in all, um, given getting there beforehand surgery and then we had to stay they made us stay for i think 24 hours at least before i could fly back home um so yeah and that honestly was one of the worst surgeries and operations i have ever had yeah she was in a lot of pain (laughs) even c-sections um they went ahead and kind of like checked all the you know things possible while they were in there um, and kind of did some did some other things to kind of make sure everything was good to go and I don't know I don't know what it was but um, it was really difficult Mm. Um, and I just remember thinking the the recovery yes the actual like physical recovery Um, I remember feeling so sad at where we were in our journey and how much pain I was in and, mm-hmm. you know, just not knowing, um, you know, being hopeful, but like thinking, oh my goodness, like I'm going through so much. And if it, if it works, like it's totally worth it. And if it doesn't, right. like, I feel oh like I'm gosh. dying. Um, <laughs> right. Oh right. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for walking us through that whole journey. I feel like that's such a such a, a privilege to hear. And um, I think so much of people's journeys with infertility stays really covert. And like, you know, mm-hmm. it's not something that gets talked about a lot. So I really appreciate those like more intimate details because you never really know what someone's going through to to get that next baby and it can be very rigorous. I don't think I have ever heard, (laughs) I don't think I've ever heard quite a journey like that. And um, I'm just wondering um, if now would be a good point to switch towards talking about uh, Leighton. Yeah. Sure. How, How long after that surgery were you able to get pregnant? So, um, we, right? Not quite. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. More than a year. How how long was the recovery? Three Um, months? Yes. It was about three months that they wanted to make sure I was fully 
Sorry about that. Sorry. (laughs) No. It was about three months, and then um, we tried for, um, I want to say. Nine months. Yeah, about nine months, and we still, like, had not um, conceived. And wow. so um, that was a real low point for me. And at this point, we're approaching right. about four years into our journey, and I was ready to move on. Um, mm-hmm. If it wasn't going to happen, um, then I wanted to adopt. And so, um, but I wanted to, in my mind, I thought... Um, I wanted to give um, IUI a try, which is a fertility treatment. Um, And so I talked with my doctor and I said, you know, we've tried for this long. I want to try IUI. And if IUI doesn't work, then I'm going to move on. We're going to say we're going to close this. I mean, God can always do whatever he has up his sleeve. But for me and my emotional health, I felt like I had to shut the door. Um, I just was at the end of my rope. And so um, we actually conceived Leighton um, on our third IUI try, and we were only gonna try four times before we kind of closed the door and really shifted gears towards um, adopting. So we conceived Leighton through um, IUI. And um, I mean, that was just a real high conceiving him and that it worked and um, he, he brought like some real hope, um, Mm. just feeling like I had done an operation and that things should be working and they still weren't. Um, and then he came along and so, um, yeah, I I mean, it was just so wonderful. It was, um, Mm. just the best, it was just the best news and, um, we had, it was just this season of life where it seemed like all of the work that we had done um, for the last five or six years was finally coming to fruition. We had a a little bun in the oven. Um, mm. My PhD work was wrapping up and looking really, mm. looking really successful. Um, I had a job opportunity that, moved. well, yeah. We, yeah. I had a, a job offer that basically um, approached me and asked me wow. to to apply um, to move to the university level. Just all sorts of ridiculous things. Um, so he was just like it was like Leighton came as far as we conceive. You know, we conceived him and just all these wonderful things. It was just um, it felt like we had turned a corner and yeah. had come out of just this really, really challenging time, whether it be with secondary infertility, whether it be with being kind of a young family that's, you know, just grinding really hard to mm. make the future happen, whether that be financially or, you know, family size. So he was, for me, his... his um presence in our family just was like thing everything had changed for the better um Mm. so it was it was really really special right that just feels like it's all lining up the way it's supposed to yeah yes i mean it just it was and none of it was expected for us you know i mean because hope Mm. hope Mm. is a hope can be a pretty dangerous thing i think whenever (laughs) 
yeah. whenever you're in the midst of that. Yeah. Um, Savannah and her friends have some sayings on that that involve profanity, but I won't share that. But <laughs> <laughs> Profanity welcome on it, our it podcast, is welcome. by the way. <laughs> um, oh, you know, man, we're talking, that, about, we're talking uh, about grief. There's a lot of bad words that come out of that's everybody's right. mouth. You, just, right. <laughs> you don't really dare to hope big. Um, and so all those things with that really just started with him, um, I mean, it just... It just was so good. It just was so good. And we were so excited. Our little boys, we had finally told them. Um, mm. Late was on mm. the way. And we had we had delayed for quite a while, I think, because we always want to play things safe. And, mm-hmm. Right. Um, we have it all recorded and all those sorts of things. They just were so, so, so happy. Um, so, yeah. And anyways, um, lo and behold... Um, how how far along were we? Nineteen um, weeks. Eight, yeah, eighteen. Eighteen. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we were we, we were. Um, Hold on, I want to say something. Okay, yeah. Um, you should probably just take over. No, I like All when right. you talk. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to say, uh, thinking about secondary infertility, an element of grief that people don't always see is oftentimes your kiddos want another baby in their family Mm. Mm. and um you know as a parent like to see um i think especially our oldest being able to articulate that um you know and wait we waited until i was 16 weeks to tell them um that they Mm. were going to get a brother and a sibling and um Actually, we we didn't know yeah, we that told it was them, a boy. We told them they had a baby, and then the next week. They got to come with us up to the doctor's office um, oh, and hear that they were going to have another brother. Um, but that just, um, I think that's something that people don't always think about, too, with secondary infertility is navigating, you know, your other kiddos asking, you know. Um, yeah. It's, mm. it's hard to answer, you know, and mm-hmm. um, there's just an... It's it just kind of is sticky sometimes because you have your own grief and you don't want to like project that onto them, um, and yet you're trying to shepherd their hearts and what they want. And um, anyway, it's just kind of kind of a weird. I always kind of waffled with like how much do I share about my own feelings and that I want a baby too, yeah. and how much do I mm. you know kind of have a brave face and just be really encouraging. And, um, I don't know. It's just, um, and all of that's just hard to do when you're feeling so many emotions yourself. Um, so that was right. And those questions from kids, they don't come at like, the time when you're sitting relaxed and your <laughs> your thoughts are collected, you're like loading up the car and balls are falling into the driveway and down into the street, and you're like, oh, okay. I just feel like those questions never come at a moment when you're ready with the yes. com- with composure, right? right. <laughs> That's good. Can, yeah, exactly. Can I ask? Um, was uh, was your guys's plan to what was three? kind of always your plan or to have three kids i remember i remember savannah you and me and john and ryan sat my husband is ryan 
for those of you who don't know, sat down to lunch and Ryan asked you, which I feel like is a very audacious question for (laughs) anybody to ask anybody. But I remember him asking, like, how many kids do you want to have? And without missing a beat, you said as many as we can afford. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember that just being that like rings in my memory with such sweetness of like the joy and hope in your mouth that day. I just remember. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think we we. We probably, in some ways, just never really even got to put a number mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. We had we had uh, Graham in 2011 moved away to do schooling. Um, we're pregnant again in what 2013, mm-hmm. right. um, and and then you know we had the surprise of Anson's diagnosis, and uh, you know we just never even really got to the place where we could really, you know, pr- pick a number or something like that before sure. we were, before we were asking questions. Um, yeah. so, so yeah. Hmm. Anyways, um, we had, uh, Leighton on board and it was October the 2nd of, uh, 2019. And it kind of feels like I shouldn't be telling this part of the story, oh, but there's a lot of, you know, color to it that we probably can circle back on. But anyway, Savannah felt some fluid loss. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't think too big of it. Let her OB know. Um, and then the OB said, come down to Tulsa. So I left work early. Didn't really think anything of it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and by that evening, I think probably by 6 or 7 p.m., uh, the OB on call had said, you're going to lose this baby. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, that's all while we were hearing his little heartbeat go and sounded perfectly healthy. And they said, yeah, he'll, he'll pass within, uh, you know, probably by the morning. And, um, he did, he passed away on the morning of the third. Um, uh, so anyways, uh, it was really, really challenging. That was October 2nd uh, is Savannah's birthday. So it was a oh, big, man. it was a big day for us. Um, okay. Just so much joy. Um, it was almost a year to the day of my dad uh, passing away as well. So he had passed away, what, September 30th. 30th. Mm-hmm. So it was the, the one year anniversary of his death and, um, Savannah's birthday, which uh, everybody, everybody in our house, um, all the boys at that point, uh, you know, we're just all crazy about her. Um, so it just was, it just was too much. It just was too mm. much. So yeah. Um, yeah. That's a lot to compound in one moment. Right. With right. something that has been such a big hope and a dream and um it seems impossible that anything could line up so poorly with so many things all at once yeah the um the year before you know john's dad had passed away and so um I 100% did not care, but my birthday kind of was tossed to the side in light of all of Uh that. And so the following year with Leighton, John, I think was really excited to um, 
like make my birthday a really big deal. And um, I just remember like trying to ignore like some of the symptoms I was feeling a little bit. I mean, and to be honest, they were not um, like really, it took me a while to think, oh, I maybe should call my doctor and um, because they were so subtle. Um, but I just remember feeling a lot of like <laughs> heaviness about having to like tell John that like my doctor wanted me to go to the hospital because he yeah. had like brought me a birthday lunch and like it just um it felt like things were going so well you know and um yeah I I honestly um I was a little worried but I was not prepared at all for what we faced um that was yeah, really right. um I had thought like, oh, maybe I might be on bed rest in the hospital, like worst case scenario. Um, so it was wow. really, uh, I think for anybody in that type of situation, but just really felt like the rug got like ripped out from underneath you. Um, right. For sure. Yeah. Um, and I'm just, I'm curious to hear more about um, your grief with, with losing your baby after like, I mean, at 18 weeks you're showing, you know, there's a big difference between like hoping for a baby and then people knowing like, what was the response of your community and like, how did the loneliness shift? Like, how did that change with grief? Um, so I think something that was, um, really crazy um, is one of my very best friends who I was in a small group with in Tulsa, um, was pregnant as well and was just a couple weeks behind me. And, um, her little boy's heart had stopped, um, at mm. I think 14 mm. weeks and our boys were born on the same day. So, Whoa. um, in a really bizarre way, I felt like that was a tiny gift from God to have such a close friend who saw and I felt like really understood um sure kind of what we were what we were walking through and so having her as an ear um just to talk to and express um you know grief too was was huge and in that same same way um that small group that I was a part of, um, they felt very angry, um, for me and, um, mm. and even in some ways angry with God. And I felt so seen, um, and so loved by mm. seeing their emotion at what mm. we were going through and, um, seeing them express the injustice, you know, that they felt on our behalf was just, um, I, it just, it, I really felt, um, I really felt seen and less alone. And, um, in some ways just my grief felt justified, you know, um, all the things sure. that like I yep. felt, um, that sometimes you feel like are, um, self-focused, you know, just felt really validated. And I think that's so important when you're grieving that your feelings are validated, you know? Um, yeah. Yep. So... John, I think, had a little bit different experience. Um, yeah. Um, so I just started a new position. 
um, new community, new town, all those things. Um, the previous place that I had worked uh, is just near and dear to my heart. And in somebody, some ways, I think like the the journey that we had been through, both with Anson, obviously infertility is kind of the silent thing, but there's a lot of ways in which I, I think in my uh, previous, previous position, um, I think I almost felt sometimes like we were, like I was a burden um, for that community. Mm. Like they had, you know, they had to sometimes bear the brunt of, you know, us traveling for uh, an operation or for for um, all the different traveling that I had to do for we had to do for our son's um, health care. Um, so, anyways, it was kind of interesting having that experience in a new place. In some ways, I just kind of felt like, oh no, like I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be this. I don't want this attention. Um, mm. Yeah. In, in a new position where I'm just trying to like, you know, find my place. But it was it was really interesting. Um, I didn't even know my coworkers' names largely at that point because I had just been working there for a few <laughs> Two weeks. Months, yeah. And yeah. Um, uh. but their response was just ridiculous. Um, the church that we had just started visiting, the all of my colleagues uh, at the university. I mean, they brought us meals all the way into November. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Wow. And then a lot of like uh, colleagues, even some female colleagues would be like, hey, you know, it, it was so interesting how many came out of the woodwork to say, yeah, I lost the baby at 20 weeks or, uh. um, you know, we have, we, we know what this feels like and um, we're so sorry. So uh, for me, it was, I, I was really impressed by you know, just this brand new community trying to reach out and in love. And I thought that was great. Um, so yeah, that, you know, so that was, that was the communal, I think communal aspect. I, I think about Leighton's death. The, the metaphor I've used is just that the lights went out for me. Um, Mm. and in some ways I just, it, it was really tough because starting a new job, uh, there's enormous pressure there. Within mm-hmm. a few months, I had to travel to London to defend my PhD, my thesis. And so oh, it was shit. almost like it was almost like it hurt so the the level of pain that I felt was just so overwhelming. However, right. I almost had to go into like, I don't know, like a triage mode and say, okay, like my fan, I, I don't keep my job if I don't, you know, successfully yeah. pass this PhD, mm. this, yeah. this, this, oh, uh, defense. So, you know, there was just really this way in which for me, it was excruciating pain. And yet I like, there were these things that I had to keep, I had to keep going to literally keep the family going. Um, so I don't think any of that was probably very healthy, but you just, there was just no, there was just no option, um, that I could, that I could see. And I think for us, you know, one of the things about, cause we had, 
Savannah had lost, you know, she had lost her father-in-law and she had watched me lose my dad. You know, kind of the grief, I think, in some ways is like asymmetrical. And so one partner gets to like respond in some ways Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. to the person that's, you know, dealing with it or in the, you know, in in the midst of it. But for with Leighton, it was like there was no we both you know neither one of us could help the other mm-hmm. one up. Yeah, um, yeah. right. Oh, yeah, man. you know mm-hmm. I would I would walk around the corner in the house and just see see Savannah sobbing, mm-hmm. and she would yeah. walk in. She'd walk into the kitchen, and I would be doubled over the counter. Uh, crying right you know yeah um so that was i think that was the thing that was so even through the infertility journey is like well somebody would be up and somebody would be down mm-hmm. and be like hey well, yeah. you know we'll get them we'll get them mm-hmm. next time you know sort of thing <laughs> right. right um but with Leighton, i just think you know there was uh, you know it's it's losing it's it's losing a child it's losing a child you'll never you'll, you never met um mm. so i i certainly respect that that's different than people that have had, you know, other types of, of, you know, lost children that are older. Um, but it was, it was such an intense grief and that it was really hard to like reach a hand to pull your partner up because you're right. You know, you're both tumbling, tumbling down this hole. So Mm -hmm. anyways, yeah. Like, um, black hole of need of just like everything is pouring into it and there's not a lot that can pull you out, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think even, I don't know if you would say this, but in some ways, like, um, I began to feel like like my grief was a burden to John and yeah. I didn't <laughs> want to, like, add to his grief, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And so that's really weird when our marriage has, like, a history of depending on each other and I all of a sudden, like, didn't feel, even though, you know, maybe not necessarily truth to it, but I found myself sometimes trying to hide my grief from him. Um, yeah. So that was weird. You guys can um, take a moment if you need to. <laughs> you going to bed, bud? Yeah. He needs his bed. Oh. Keep um, so that was really weird for me to have always depended on him in the past for, you know, a pick me up or, you know, to get some perspective or just to, you know, dump emotionally dump. And I began to kind of feel like, Oh man, like, I don't know. It just was really, really weird to both be so down. um, Yeah. Who did you, who did you turn to? Like, did you each, I'm just curious, like, I mean, you had your friend who similarly lost a child. Um, I feel like uh, in my marriage, when, when we've had times where we're both just down and there's nobody that's like, I'm the strong one pulling at, you know, pulling you out of the river. Like, who, where did you see, um, like, where did help come from? Um, I jumped back into therapy, um, with a counselor I had kind of, um, really seen over the last, like, four or five years, um, off and on, um, 
so I did that and, um, you know, I think part of uh, my faith journey, it took me a while to come around to it, but um, I realized how difficult it was for me to be emotionally honest with God. And um, I realized how uncomfortable that was for me and the grief that I was feeling. And so I began to try my best to um, make sure that I was expressing whatever I was feeling to God also. Um, but I think beyond that, my just a, a small group of friends, um, that small group um, that I mentioned, we started a Marco Polo <clears throat> group and the group started um, because of what happened with Leighton um, and yeah. I was no longer mm. in Tulsa with them. And so mm. I would get on Marco Polo whenever I felt like it and um, mm. would kind of emotionally dump there whenever things would hit yeah. me. Um, and it was just um, so nice to have a space that I felt like um, people knew my journey and they knew my history and um, how much it took to get to where we were and to have it all taken away. Um, yeah. So they didn't always have a lot. Oftentimes they didn't have a lot to say back, but um, I think anybody that's experienced grief knows that just somebody to listen is huge yep. so yeah, yeah totally right. and feeling seen because there's no way to ever have every every feeling every pain every every small heartbreak that goes along with grieving because it's not just the the moment of grief that happens there's a thousand moments of heartbreak mm -hmm. as, as the years go by and there's no way to download that to anyone even a spouse and so I think it's great that you had, I am a personal mega fan of Marco Polo. I, <laughs> when I lost my dad, my, my close friends from college, we all started. Not <laughs> <laughs> it's not, but I do love Marco Polo because man, like I had a little Marco Polo group for, you know, for me. And that started because my dad died and, mm. um, it ended up being super sweet and gelling us together. Mm -hmm. But but isn't Marco Polo great too? Because you can just monologue and no one's going to interrupt you, <laughs> and you can really you can really say a lot more and learn more about people through Marco Polo than you can. Like the asynchronous communication works really nicely for grief because you don't you don't have to wait for a moment to present itself where someone's like, so here yes. we are at a coffee shop and <laughs> right, could you please right, tell right. me about your deep sadness? You're like, no, I'm sobbing in a car on the side of the road <laughs> or like, you know. Yeah. Right. Um, Definitely. John, what about you? How was your... Yeah, I was afraid when, you were going to ask. I was hoping you'd forget. <laughs> no, I remember you. <laughs> um, I, I don't think I had... Mm -mm. Um, I don't think I had, uh, any real intentional ways of processing that. Um, part of it is, it, it, it wasn't really, uh, any sort of aversion that I had to it because, you know, I, I saw the therapist first, right? Then. Yes. So, um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just, in Good a, for you. yeah, I'm a huge, huge believer in, in that and been so helpful for me. Um, mm. You know, so, but I just didn't, 
I just am a laser focused person. And I think the way I, I channeled all of what I was feeling into, I've, I've got to make this happen for our family. And that really meant I just had these, this basically the biggest project that I've ever had just right on the horizon. And I, um, I don't think it was healthy. I, th- I think there was a lot of, of trouble that came from it, but I, I just stayed laser focused on, um, the tasks. Yeah. The tasks at hand, which was uh, a new job and, and this defense. And so that's where, that's where all of my time went. Um, you know, I, I think we still, we still communicated the lines of communication were open with Savannah and I, um, but I just, I almost didn't, I just did not have time to really do the types of things that she was doing and then still meet the, meet the moment that I had to meet. Um, so it was, it was not great. It was not great. Would not recommend, um, (laughs) sounds, you know, but I, I, I flew to London, came passed, came back, got off the plane, COVID hit and the world stopped, Mm -hmm. you know? So then it was Mm. like, then it was like this real whiplash. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. Then it was like this real whiplash. Oh, and then just isolation. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, God. Oh, I was going to say, I think he felt much more lonely in his grief. Um, and there's a weird element, I think, of, you know, him being the male, you know, and yeah, there's not always a lot of attention, mm-hmm. I think, given towards fathers and losses like that um so i think that was definitely hard that for was him. gonna be my next question of like man like what does it look like to be like a man going through this situation where you there's a lot of double standards and biases but i think with miscarriages and with infertility the, the male really gets left behind in the care and attention. Yeah, I had to be honest. My my new friends in a new town. Um, yeah, some of them were very old friends uh, as well. Were really good about checking in, and I was, mm. you know, as as poor of a picture as I'm painting of myself here. I was very. <laughs> oh no, you're not. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> like I said, I would not recommend, but. Um, like with, even with my students, when I had to come back to the classroom, I really was not in a good place to come back to the classroom, but Mm. I, you know, I had, I had to work. Um, I mean, and I broke down in, I broke down in a large class. Um, and I was transparent with my colleagues, Uh, you know, they could, um, I'm, I'm a kind of laser focused person, but I'm also kind of where my feelings on my sleeve. I can't really hide <laughs> things very Man. well. Um, Man, I'm <laughs> yeah. so I had a lot of people that, you know, my friends here that would, would check in, um, and say, you know, how are you doing and all that sort of stuff. But it was, I mean, it was a really, was a really lonely thing. I, for some reason, um, I think with miscarriages, sometimes I feel like it, it's like you didn't really lose your kid you know, and maybe like, right. Like, right. Um, mm-hmm. it's not, not like 
uh, for for the father, it just is is maybe like um, not a a true real real loss, you know, sort of a yeah, thing. like a legitimate yeah yeah. There was some yeah, there's some legitimacy sort of lacking, and I don't know that anybody felt that way at all. Um, right. I just know that when I looked around, it was like there was a clear. I could read the room to a to a degree to realize what I'm feeling on the inside is not really like these people out here really don't know mm-hmm. um, the depths of right. of what I'm dealing with. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was very lonely and and um, and kind of a unique. It was just very unique situation. Uh, all of the factors that that went into where we were in our life, you know, the season of our life, were just really unique. And so, yeah, it was very lonely. Um, at the same time, we, you know, our marriages in this side of things has been a roller coaster because as soon as we lost Layton, we also heard from the doctors. Well, guess what? We know what happened and we know how to fix it. Um, wow! Whoa. And so then oh there's this God. like real, then there's this like really dangerous thing. Oh no! Now we're are we going to start? Like we're mm. we're we've lost him and we are so sad. Like, right. but what does this mean for Do the you future? Make yourself right again. Yeah. Yeah. That that was going to be my next question. Like, how, what after all of this? Yeah. Why? What would make you want to try again? And so you're saying that they they figured it out. Yeah, I'll let yes. I'll let the real doctor in the family comment on that. <laughs> Savannah MD. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So um, we lost Layton because of something called um, cervical incompetence, and. Mm. Um, I think something that was really hard was to feel like we had worked so hard to conceive him and to have lost him to something that was completely just unrelated to anything we had been dealing with um, previously. Um, so, I mean, we I'm so thankful because I have since found a community of women who have had these same types of losses and it a lot of them lose multiple babies before doctors um, discover what's going on. And so we actually had been told that that's what they suspected before we even left the hospital. Um, And so, you know, for a while, I just like couldn't even really think about it. Um, I remember just feeling flatlined at the idea of like, if we want to try to try again, like we've got to jump through some more hoops. Um, Mm. And so, thankfully, like, we couldn't really do anything. We needed, like, three months of recovery before, you know, we really needed to think about anything. And so, um, I mean, I think I, I probably would have pushed it oh, pushed it back anyway just because you're so grief-stricken. Um, but I think for me, ultimately, it came down to, like, I felt like we had worked so so, so hard. Um, Mm. And John really um, added a beautiful perspective that I think was helpful to me um, and gave, I feel like for me, gave meaning, um, a lot of meaning to Leighton's life when what we had imagined life with him to be like was so drastically different than what had happened. Um, 
not that not that he felt meaningless, but that experience like felt meaningless, if that makes sense. Um, and so um, he kind of talked about he I remember him talking to me one day about, you know, Leighton kind of helped us realize this issue and he could be a pathway, you know, for our family growing mm. because of us discovering sure. this and, you know, going and so what, what happened was cervical incompetence and the way that that's, um, the way that they recommended repairing it was like a permanent um, pursuit, like a permanent cerclage placed. Um, and it's really extremely rare which um, felt like was always um, haunting us on our journey, just these really rare things. Um, but um, it required another surgery. Um, and so, you know, John kind of said, you know, we could, he, w- he was fully supportive of whatever I wanted to do, um, which was important to me. I think felt um loved and cared for by him just because it was my body going through all of it. Um, but, um, it was just, it was, it was a beautiful, beautiful perspective shift that kind of gave me some motivation to keep trying to think that, you know, Leighton could be a pathway of us, our family growing, you know, um, and without him, we didn't know we had this issue and, um, fixing it, you know, kind of in my mind gave meaning um, a lot of meaning yeah. to his life that was super short and not what right. we had hoped for. Um, so I don't know if you have anything to add. Yeah, no, I, I don't have anything intelligent to say, but <laughs> I mean, we did, I, I, in those kind of early months, early weeks and maybe months of after we lost Leighton, I mean, I, I felt like I kind of had a, sometimes some extra energy to try to take care of Savannah, um, mm. to try to put like little post-it notes around, mm, mm-hmm. um, that had like, like, I, I'm not like a super encouraging person or anything like that. So <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty, I have a pretty he- high, heavy dose of realism as Allie knows. Mm. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, those types of things. And I thought I, I, was hopeful that in some way Leighton's life could be redemptive. Um, anyways, and so I think it was January of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, January 2020, wow. Savannah had decided to have the procedure, and so it was you know three plus months um, mm-hmm. since we had lost Leighton, um, and that procedure went off without a hitch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we kind of base. I think we had to wait again another mm-hmm. three months. Not quite. All these waiting periods. Yeah. Right, That's just got to mess right. with you a little bit. Yeah, it was quite a, you know, it's very metaphorical um, yes. for for just that season of life. And um, can, can I ask, um, yeah, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, going back to le- the legitimacy aspect of losing Leighton, did, did you guys do anything as like any type of memorial or? What what was that process like? That's a great question. So, I don't know if if every town um, does this. Like we, the, the hospital where uh, we lost Layton was in Tulsa, so it's about forty miles to the south of where we live. And there's a cemetery there that will um, that has an entire field for 
for uh, newborn deaths and wow. you know wow. late miscarriages. Um, and so they actually, um, for the most part, will basically do do that for free um, for pe- for mm. people that have lost wow. their kids. Wow. So we felt, um, you know. We, we did. We tried to do a number of things. I think that acknowledged that Leighton was very real. That he was and yeah. is our son. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, Savannah had to deliver him, um, and I don't know if the theology is right. Even though I've, I have PhD in in those areas, but um, <laughs> I baptized him um, oh. when Savannah delivered him. Um, and gave him his gave him his Christian name. Um, we had a service. We had a funeral for him, which was just for our families. Um, and really, it was just for our parents um, and our our siblings, not even their um, spouses. And so Savannah and I did the did the service. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they let me uh, dig his grave. Um, and put him in. And so, you know, all those things were just, you know, awful, just awful. But um, I think for us, we're just really necessary to say, no, you're, you are fully our boy, you know, and will always, always be our boy. Um, So, yeah, that's what we did. I think something that was really important to both of us was, um, you know, we didn't get the time that we thought we would with him, and we just wanted to love him as well as we could. And um, those were motions and physical things that we felt like allowed us to love him the best that we absolutely could um, with the time that we were given. So, and we didn't we didn't want to traumatize our kids. I think one of the things for us is like, how in the world do you walk your two boys through this. Um, yeah. You know, developmentally, where are they? Like, I don't know. Um, but we felt like the very best thing to do was to communicate in in a vivid way that mommy and daddy are sad. This is your brother. This um, It's okay for you to be really sad about losing your brother. Um, they actually came up to the hospital when Savannah delivered him and, and, and we took the advice of, we didn't do that without uh, the advice of trained professionals. Um, but they thought that that would be very, could be very good. And we had different responses. Yeah. Our, our youngest uh, held Leighton um, mm-hmm. and our oldest, oh. our oldest was not, not okay with that. Um, mm. And that was okay too. So, I think in, we also wanted to communicate to our to our living sons um, that when you come into our family, you're always a part of our family. You know, mm. uh, yeah. also give them a place to to grieve if they needed to. And that oldest one, um, he he always he goes to Layton's headstone every year. Um, he oh, goes to his wow. grave every year, and he, I mean, just this year, right? He. Uh, he cried. Mm-hmm. Uh, he couldn't. He couldn't be there. So he's, you know, he's like taller than Savannah now, and <laughs> becoming like a little, becoming a little man. But uh, he still remembers. That's his little brother, and he can't. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. 
So anyways, we have a place that we can rally to as a, even as a family and we go mm-hmm. on his birthday every year and um and Christmas time we'll go out there so Yeah, that's wow. That that seems um I don't know, yeah, it just sounds like very healthy and cathartic. That's that's really incredible that you guys shared that with your kids and yeah that's um yeah that's awesome thanks yeah man i i feel like there this is like what this podcast is supposed to be is just people who haven't experienced stuff like this to to learn and how to support people who are going through this and i'm i feel like i have learned so much with talking with you guys it's wild and also hopefully um offering hospitality to stories of sorrow and grief yeah um you know lifts a little of the burden of the loneliness of not being seen and known um and those stories of i mean stories of loss are so important and it's very very certain that we will lose and we will love and we will lose as humans and so um i think to me the more we can know about what it means to care and to lose and to grieve you know the better we are as peoples but um mm-hmm. yeah your your story is so so tender and i'm really really thankful that you felt um ready to share and i'm just before we wrap up um is there anything that we didn't get to touch or to say or name that you would like to I I want to know like where like what what is it now or and and you guys have have a little girl now and, and if um, that if that could wrap it up yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah not all stories have the happiest of endings uh, but we've been very fortunate we've been very blessed that Savannah came out the other side of the surgery um, we went back to fertility treatments and nothing worked and so we gave up we tried like eight eight fertility treatments eight months uh so nothing worked and we decided we were moving on and that very next month Vanna got pregnant um we had little we had our boys around the house starting to actually talk about and say we want another we want a, a sibling and we're praying for the, they were, wow. they were starting to get brave enough to even say they wanted one and to pray for one, mm. which was, which was awful for us. But um, <laughs> we did not tell the boys, we would not tell them, Oh, what until you were uh, six months pregnant. Yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, like they knew, God. they knew I was. <laughs> right. Have, right. Just wow. Were, I mean, I just couldn't do it. I could not. Yeah. Mm. I just could yeah. go through those motions again and yeah. like risk. Sure. I, I think just... I think the whole nine months, you know, there were ways in which Savannah and I just held our breath. And yet there were other times where yeah. we in the midst of that stress and, you know, having lost and having been disappointed, you know, you're just like have your defenses up because you don't want it to happen again. And yet we were still able to look at each other and say, look, Today, she's healthy. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And mm. yeah. today is a good day, and we c- we can be happy today. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we, we literally would, would take it a day at a time, and we <laughs> would say that to each other. Um, and so, anyways, uh, she arrived on October the twentieth. Uh, wow. 2021. Two years, yeah. Two, almost two years after losing Lady. Yeah, exactly. same month. Mm. Same month. And uh, anyways, and that's, that's been just... Uh, a the wonderful per- the procedure that I had done worked and yeah. we were able to carry her to 37 weeks, which is the furthest that they'd let me go with the procedure that they had done. So, gotcha. wow. okay. yeah, it so, was, it was successful. Yeah. And when she gets old journey. enough, when she gets old enough, we'll tell her about her big brother, mm-hmm. Layton mm-hmm. and how, sure. um, yeah. you know, without him, you know, he's, he's the reason that she's, she's here. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah. Anyways, um, so it's been a really nice, nice new season for us. Yes, mm. finally. Yeah, mm. yeah, God. What was that moment like holding her that first time? Mm. Oh man, euphoric! Like we just sobbed. Mm. Yeah, both of us just <laughs> oh. sobbed. The whole the whole morning uh, while Savannah and I were in the the waiting. Well, she, we were in her room before they wheeled her back to delivery. I just we I just cried and cried. I just couldn't stop crying. Not it was like I was sad. I was grieving about uh, Leighton. I was happy tears with with Esty. Uh, it was just this wild, overwhelming release of emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, just holding her was so so much joy. Um, yeah. So much joy. Yeah, overwhelming's a good. Yeah. Good word. Describe the whole day. Very, very appropriate word. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, I I guess, yeah, I guess back to Allie's question, is there anything that we didn't didn't touch on? I don't think so. No, you guys are wonderful, wonderful interviewers. Yeah. Easy to talk to. You guys did a great job. You made it very easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thank you. Good. Um, I'm grateful you guys are doing doing this. Yeah, very cool. Mm. I think it's really needed and important and um Yeah, it makes me happy to know that there's a resource out there. Great people behind it. <laughs> mm. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Mm, that's meaningful. Man. How are your bodies now? Last question. <laughs> Tired. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think yeah. talking about Leighton, I don't know, just makes me like, I feel, yeah, I feel worn out, feel weary. Right. Yeah. yeah. But also really good to like feel those things again about him. Yes. So. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's the double-edged sword of talking about grief. Of it's so totally. necessary. It's so cathartic, and it is also very costly. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Mm. That's good, Allie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, thank I you. love you guys. Yeah. Thank you so much yeah, for likewise. talking with us. Please yeah. do something very kind for your bodies tonight <laughs> and tomorrow to right. unwind and give your boys a hug from me. Okay. okay, we'll do. Yeah. And hi. your girl. Oh my god. <laughs> and your girl. Esty. <sighs> Esty. That's yes. her. Oh. You have to meet her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't wait. 
All right. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> All right. Yeah, thanks again, Bye, guys, guys, for yeah, being so transparent. Night. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. 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 Just want to go lay down on this. Thank you all so much for listening. We really enjoyed our time with John and Savannah, and we hope that their telling of their loss and their journey is a comfort to those of you who have experienced similar journeys. Um, and on a personal note, I'm just so incredibly grateful that they agreed to be a part of this project as dear friends of mine for many, many years. It is such an honor to have had you guys as guests on our show. So John and Savannah, thank you so much. And to those of you who are listening, thank you for showing up week after week. We have a few more episodes left before we wrap up our season um, in the beginning of the year. And as always, if you'd like to connect, we are on Instagram at what they don't ask. There's a period between each word. Or you can email us at wtdapodcast at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. This has been What They Don't Ask. <laughs> <laughs>